From Paul's letter to the church at Rome, Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, here again God's word for you and for me. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, prophecy in proportion to faith, ministry in ministering, the teacher in teaching, the exhorter in exhortation, the giver in generosity, the leader in diligence, the compassionate in cheerfulness. Friends, this too is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, from this old letter and an even older song, speak to us just the words we need for the living of these days. In Christ's name, amen. We've come to the last of our sermons in this series on countercultural practices of faith. And today we're going to talk about willingness to change our thinking in a culture of self righteousness. What better place to talk about change? Churches love change. We are known for how much we love to change. It's ironic that churches are so notorious for getting stuck in our ways because we actually come here each week and pray to be changed. Maybe we don't always register that that's our prayer. Maybe we come here thinking, we're good. We just want to hear some nice music. But our act of worship each week is already a countercultural practice. We come to be part of something bigger than any one of us, to turn our attention to a divine power that is bigger and stronger and wiser than any one of us, and to acknowledge that, like it or not, we need to change. This has always been true, both for individual people of faith and the communities we're in. Back in the first century, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome. Now, in the centuries since, this letter has become a primary source for theology. When we want to define what we know about God and what we believe, Romans is one of the first places we look. But we have to remember that Paul didn't sit down to write a theological treatise. Romans was not a textbook or a guide to write belief in the abstract. It was an admonition to a congregation, a church full of people who needed to change. 
We know that one of the prevailing issues for that early congregation was how they would interact with the culture around them. Would these people, living in the capital city of the most powerful empire the world had ever known, would they incorporate practices of that empire, like domination and control, into their church life? Or would they stand against them as Jesus did? Would they be swayed by popular ideas and any new teacher who took the public stage? Or would they root themselves in faith as their primary identity? Would they check popular opinion against the life and teachings of their Lord? Would culture rule their beliefs or would God? In a world without any of the media that inundate us today, early Christians were already challenged about how they thought. They were challenged to think right. In the text I just read, Paul uses a form of the Greek word phronane, which means to think four times in just a handful of verses. He challenges those early believers to consider what they think, how they think, and to start thinking right. If we translate the word literally, it's to get into a practice of good thinking. Paul writes, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Be transformed. That's a nice way of saying, church, you need to change. As I read the Bible, I often wish that I could know the dirt behind some of these letters to early churches. I know, y'all do too. There are a few places where we get some information where names are named and specific unsavory behaviors are called out. Here, Paul sticks to the big lesson. But something was going on there. Because Paul says, I say to everyone among you, not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but to think with sober judgment. He doesn't call out anyone in particular for having a big head or thinking they're most important. He doesn't name any committee that's running amok and going around the process or any committee that's so mired in process that they're stuck. He doesn't talk about who's working their own agenda around the church or who shares their feedback without questioning whether their opinions are right or needed. He tells everybody not to think that they are the most important, more gifted, more wise, more right. Instead, he says, think with sober judgment. Think carefully, think humbly, think as people who have been given faith. Paul goes on to compare the church to a body. It's an easy image. It's one that appears several places in the Bible. The community is the body of Christ. We are called to live together as a body of believers. When we share the sacrament that binds us, we remember that from many we become one. And of course, a body of any kind works because it has component parts all needed and all good. For as in one body we have many members, and not all the members have the same function, so we who are many are one in Christ, 
and our members one of another. We have gifts that differ according to grace. We don't know exactly what the wrong thinking was there in Rome, but it sure sounds like some in that body of Christ thought they were more important than others, more needed, more worthy, more right. And when Paul calls them to be transformed by the renewing of their minds, he tells them to think again, to think of themselves instead as a holy body. And that means that every single person is gifted in some way. No part of the body is wasted and no part is better than another. If that church was anything like churches today, and I have to think it was, there were people there who thought their presence didn't matter, that they didn't have anything to offer. Those people needed to be heard, their gifts lifted up and used well. And there were people who not only thought they were important, but thought their ideas were the norms for everyone people who needed to step back and see themselves as parts of a bigger whole. I imagine folks are listening to me now and thinking, I don't think I'm better than anyone else. I thought that to myself while I was writing, friends. But the fact that Paul ever had to write this, this admonishment against self-righteousness, that Paul ever had to tell us to get to good thinking, also tells us that we need to be transformed to rethink. I've been rereading Adam Grant's wonderful book from 2021 called Think Again, The Power of Knowing What You Don't Know. I commend it to you. Adam Grant is an organizational psychologist. That's not a job that existed in the first century. What that means is that Grant is a psychologist whose work focuses on understanding motivation and meaning. He wants to know why we stay entrenched in our assumptions, why it's hard for us to change, particularly our thinking, and what happens to our societies and families and workplaces when we don't change. In 2021, y'all remember 2021, it was the height of the pandemic. Politics skyrocketed as the primary identity and dividing line for Americans. Opinions pushed toward extremes in this country. And against that backdrop, Adam Grant wrote this book about how we need to learn to think again, to shift from the starting belief that we already know, we're already right, toward a transformation. He writes that the purpose of learning is not to affirm our beliefs, it's to evolve our beliefs. One of Grant's accessible examples in this book is about Pluto. Raise your hand if you ever made a model out of styrofoam balls or memorized the list of planets at some point in your life and that list included Pluto. I did too. And when scientists discovered that there are actually more things like Pluto out there in the universe, Instead of celebrating that the world had greater understanding than ever before, many of us struggled to accept that Pluto is not a planet in the way we all learned it. I won't make you raise your hands if you've ever said, Pluto will always be a planet to me. (laughs) 
I have this same reaction every time I try to help my children with math homework, which is almost never at this point. But there were some good math years in there when they were younger. Friends, the way math is understood, the way it is taught, those have changed in recent decades. I don't know what the age break is for this, but it's certainly been since I took any math class. Raise your hand if you've tried to help your children with math homework lately and it was different from what you learned. Instead of reorienting myself toward humility, curiosity, recognizing the good math gifts of others, instead of saying, wow, I need to learn this new way to understand math, my reaction every single time is, that's not how you do it. They, experts, educators in math, of which I am not one, they are doing it wrong. Adam Grant notes that we are quick to think that others need to change, but slow to open ourselves to new ways of thinking, especially smart and educated people who believe we're more open-minded and more objective than others. Grant writes that being good at thinking can make you worse at rethinking. Ooh, Trinity, that might be us. (laughs) We are really good at thinking. But what happens when we don't open ourselves to new thought and there's more at stake than math homework or nostalgia for what we used to think was a tiny planet? Our unwillingness to rethink can be more than a grumpy reaction to not being able to help with the math homework anymore. It can become a barrier to relationships, to healing and communities, to love for neighbor, to health, forward progress, and even to being a grace-filled congregation. To use one more of Grant's good phrases, calcified ideologies are tearing American culture apart. Self-righteousness does the same to the body of Christ. Digging in to our existing ways and defending the rightness of our own opinions, those are divisive practices. They lay the divisions of the world on top of the relationships in our church. When we would rather be right than change, We deny the work of the Holy Spirit and block the gift of transformation our Lord offers us even now. Lucy just read part of Psalm 139, this beautiful song about how we are each fearfully and wonderfully made, known by God who knit us together in our mother's wombs. The psalm paints a picture not just of a tender creator who made us and then launched us into the world. It paints a picture of our tenacious God at work. God who formed each of us intricately and particularly and then will not leave us alone. Now that's a comfort when we're isolated and grieving to remember that God holds us. But what about when we've started to think that we're right? that we know plenty, when we've started to think, in Paul's words, too highly of ourselves, then this psalm takes on a different tone. 
You have searched me and known me, O God. You know when I sit and rise, you know my thoughts and my path and my ways, good and less good. You hem me in. You lay your hand on me. The psalmist can't get away from God. He's surrounded. Even if he tries to flee from God's presence, he can't. God goes from the highest heaven to Sheol, from the morning to the dark, to the farthest limits of the land. The God who made us, who gave us each particular gifts and knows every bit of us, that God continues to seek us and to call us together. I had never read these two texts together before I started planning for this morning, but I love the thread that connects them. The Psalms picture of a creating God knowing us and seeing us all the way through, and Paul's reminder to the church that we are all created and gifted with particular grace to be part of the body. Paul offers the Romans a new way of thinking. They're challenged to look around and know that everyone, everyone has a gift that is necessary for the body to work. Do that sometime. Look around. Look around here at church. Look around in the meeting when it gets contentious or boring. Look around the restaurant and the gas station and the classroom and the boardroom and the hospital or doctor's office waiting room and the airplane. Look around. It becomes very hard to think of ourselves as more important than we are if we see every other person as someone we need. We, who are many, are one body in Christ, and individually we are members one of another. Not just people thrown together, certainly not people jockeying for position and affirmation and proving our points, but members of one another, each necessary, each graced. So let us not be conformed to the thinking of the world, the thinking that tells us that we don't need to change, but let our minds be renewed. In fact, let us rejoice because we can rethink. We are part of a community that can delight in change because we are all created to be in this body. We are renewed by grace, coming from our tenacious God, who will not leave us alone. So let us pray every day. Lord, transform us. Amen.